Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning. We are so glad that you have joined us today. I am joined today by co-host Les Davis. Hi to you. Les, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you, Linda. You're so welcome. I am very excited about this show topic because when I was talking to our guest, who I'll introduce shortly, this is a topic we have not discussed. We have many, many times talked about transition. We have many times talked about moving from employment or medical disability or into schools, using the GI Bill, etc. But we have not talked about the psychological transitions that take place. How do you feel? What does this look like? What is your response to a change in everything, basically? Family dynamics, where do you go? What do you do? What are the fears? How do you deal with so many of these new experiences and your identity? So we are going to talk today to Jonathan Kaufman. And Jonathan, we welcome you from New York City and are so glad that we're going to have this discussion today. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be with you both. Well, this one really resonated because we all know everyone has talked about the psychological effects, how they feel sort of lost. I've heard sort of lost. I've heard I didn't know what to do next. I lost my structure. I lost my camaraderie. I Les, didn't you say to me you were Sergeant Davis and the next day you were not? That you know, that's right. And that what a huge um, impact on your on your life that is. Is your you know one day you know one week you're you're Sergeant Davis, you're handling multi million dollars of equipment, you're leading troops. And the next day you're well, you're just Les Davis, you know, and you're working for a new institution that doesn't know your background, doesn't know your awards, doesn't know your um, anything about you. It's a huge overcoming and psychologically you know this is a great topic i uh, i'm really looking forward to learning more about all this re- about our guest research but you're right you're you go from sergeant davis or even captain davis to you know less davis and then it's hard to even turn around when somebody says your first name so it's just like that's the beginning on into more uh more of the transition jonathan why don't you take that one identity the first thing that changes and how the world is so different. As Les said, it's hard to just turn around when someone says your first name because you're not used to it. Right. And I, you know, one of the, the things that I always see, particularly in my practice um, and specifically with veterans is, you know, they become strangers in a strange land and their identity and their understanding of who they are is mm-hmm. so ingrained in military service yet once they leave they're not sure where they are and who they are and they have to sort of redefine themselves um in 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 a new way and that can be daunting it's a daunting task for anybody but for somebody who certainly has been in that moment of change it can be uh scary 
And so when you think about it at that moment in time, as you sort of leave the theater of war, so to speak, you leave the camaraderie of of the men and women of the military and enter, quote unquote, sort of the daily grind of everyday life. Where am I? Who do I belong to? Who am I as a person? And they have to, it's almost a, a point of rediscovery. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I think what's interesting is, as we've talked about transition before, everyone's talking about the logistics. Okay, what do I do next? What papers do I need to file? Where's my DD-214? How do I get health care? How do I write a resume and translate my skills into the civilian market? But no one is talking about, and this is a major life change, major. Mm -hmm whether it's something you chose after a certain period of time or something that happened to you since you're now being militarily, medically retired in some cases, the, the, the way you are suddenly thrust into one of the most stressful times of your life, whether chosen or not, is kind of interesting. So talk about that. It is a major life change. And there seems to be little acknowledgement of the fact that it it isn't just logistics. It's a lot deeper than that. The optimal word that you sort of alluded to is stress. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at it purely from a, from a clinical standpoint or even a psychological standpoint, mm-hmm. the, the key component that that people specifically who are transitioning from the military are dealing with psychologically is stress. How does one deal with stress? How is it manifested? Um in their lives. So the question is, it isn't just about the logistical aspect of it. What needs to be addressed right away is how one deals with stress because stress manifests itself differently in different people. Mm -hmm. So it's critically important to think about as their transition happens, the logistics are critical. I I won't... um, I won't st- state that m- more, but but the fact of the matter is when you're thinking about how one deals with stress reduction, that to me is a critical piece. And it needs to be looked at whether it's done through local programs at the VA level or it's done through local community programs where there are veteran, veteran organizations uh, mm-hmm that are helping one another that have gone through the process. So it's also a feeling of, com- of this sort of continued, continued camaraderie with um, veterans that have gone through this process and learning from what they have felt was successful in their lives. Um, because in many cases, uh, you know, dealing with um, veterans, and specifically when I work for the uh, the, the Veterans Affairs based in, in D.C., the problem was, who can we trust? Mm-hmm. So it's creating that community and going to that community. But what's even more important is to give the community leaders the tools that they need to understand stress management. That for me is really critical. Or resiliency training. When I worked with the, when I, when I, when, sure, sure. When I worked in when, Cor- with in Coronado, California, with the Navy SEALs and their families, we focused on resiliency training. 
And resiliency was critically important. It was valuable because it was understanding how do you deal with sort of the challenges of everyday life and what tools do you need in terms of understanding not just themselves, but how their stress impacts their family as a whole. And what's in looking at it purely from it from a systems model theory. So there are lots of different tentacles going on. You know, I'd like to get back to um, something you said about uh, today's society and, and then the transition of stress. Uh, as you see, today's society doesn't come out with the same ethos. The military has different ethos as we're inside the military, you know, with um, God's worth ethic, uh, integrity, loyalty. Everything we're taught to be, you know, a soldier, marine, airman, uh, sailor, mm-hmm. and then we come out to a society that um, over I mean, there are pockets, but overall, really don't share those same ethos. Right. You know. How, so as you're looking at uh, somebody transitioning, doctor, is it is it a lifetime transition, or is it, or do you see more people that just have six months to a year, and they kind of see them? Uh, transition well. It, it really depends, but I would say to, to be on the safe side, it's a lifetime transition because people are so. I mean, if you look at it purely from a cultural standpoint, people so ident people that have entered the military so identify with that camaraderie, that milit that sort of as you pointed out, that military ethos, and then going beyond that point when you have to transition into life and back or rather back into life, their perception of the world has completely shifted. Mm-hmm. So how do you read how in essence, are you redefining yourself again and again and again? Because you want to have that connection to that ethos, to that community. Yet at the same time, you're almost bilingual in a certain, mm-hmm. in a certain sense. You have the language of the military and you have the language of civilian life. And so you're living between these two cultures almost. And that's something that has to be understood. It isn't just, oh, we're going to transition back into civilian life. No, you're negating the fact that you have come out of a very a culture that is very rich and, and very strong in its own ethos, in its own understanding of self. You know, I've got to add to this because I think what is so difficult these days is that if you think about it, the community at large, there's a lot of angst and social media chatter and I'll call it not rich communications going on overall in our world. It's not that you're immune from that while you're in the service. You do have some touch points on it. No matter how well connected we are, there's a lot of incivility and disrespect going on these days. And I think in many ways that upsets vets more than anything. Right. Yeah. Am I wrong? No, I think that that's a problem. That's problematic because it's also a lack of understanding. And there is something which one would call unconscious bias or conscious bias because we it. Part of it is education, and it's education Mm -hmm. to the civilian community at large, 
what these men and women have sacrificed, what they're going through. Um, you know, a lot of that is is sort of seen through the lens of popular culture. So how we understand the military in a lot of ways, not always, but in some ways. You know, the good part is I think that our culture does um, honor our yeah. military now far more than they did 30, 40, 50 years ago. And yet entering back in, there is not the structure that was there before. So we are going to go on a very short break. And then I'd love to move into what are the family dynamics and the role changes and the psychological impacts of that. We'll be right back. Stand by. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. about the Gabrielunzi bear caught rummaging through a refrigerator in an apartment in Colorado? The tenant heard noises coming from the kitchen and saw a bear with his head in the fridge looking for anything it could eat. What's the word for food that's unfit for human consumption? My wallop. The tenant locked himself in his bedroom and called for help. What's the word for the fear of bears? Ursophobia. We have lots of bears near our Colorado cabin, and we have been told that pepper spray will keep them away. But the idea that it would keep a 500-pound grizzly bear from attacking seems ridiculous to me. I think I'll try the pepper spray in myself and hope the bear doesn't like spicy foods. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. Right before the break, I said we'd talk about the impact on family dynamics, and we will. But I'd like to go back and uncover one other piece, which is that when you are in the military, you are not always working for someone who you respect or have the same values of, but you work with them because you have to. There is a rank and a an order of command that you follow. In the civilian world, that's similar. You won't always have a boss that you will get along with well, and you will make choices. And yet, when you return to civilian life and you're confronted with differences of opinion, whether it's politically or in any other arena, well, on the break, we were talking and I asked Les, are you more reticent to jump into the fray um, to condemn someone or to judge them because you've been trained to have to follow orders at certain points when you don't agree and then you can express yourself? And Les, I'll throw that to you. Well, you know, the greatest example I can give you is the time, my time in uh, you know, this Army Recruiting Command. Uh, I didn't necessarily agree or, or like my chain of command, at, especially at the company level, or even some of the stuff that was happening at the battalion level. But, you, you know, in the military, you just, you know, think, the saying is you suck it up and go on. You know, you got to slew the flagpole and you got you to accomplish the mission. So then you take that attitude and you take it into uh, the college I first worked for. And it was, it was odd because then my boss would go, hey, what do you think about this? You think it'll work, you know? And, and so instead of getting the direction, 
they are actually asking opinion and saying, do you think it'll work in your area? Um, we're gonna, we're flexible here. We can, we're gonna, you know, go from, if it works in your area, we can do it. If it doesn't work in your area, that's fine. Continue what you're doing. So it was a very different outlook. And, and again, talking about the, the transition uh, of that freedom, you know, mm-hmm. another thing, I, th- I think we talked about this on one of the shows is, uh, again, my recruiting experience, I was talking to my boss at least every half hour, every hour in recruiting command where, in in um, my first jobs, after a couple of days of not talking to my civilian boss, I I called her and I was, and I said, hey, do, should we talk every day? And she was like, only if you want to. So <laughs> it was very strange. And I was working at a home office. I wasn't working in an office uh, building. So it was just a, a different. Uh, wow, what a, what a different time, a different uh, way to accomplish ultimately the same mission in recruiting. Mm. So yes. I, I, lo- I love that. So, Jonathan, yeah. now let's move on to, because I think communication is the root of everything. So I'm so glad we got to cover that. Thank you, Les. Let's talk about the change in family dynamics and some of the psychological transitions there that are extremely important and stressors. Right. I think when you have a family member that's been out of the fa- out of literally out of the family, Uh, Family dynamics change when I do family therapy and deal specifically if you're dealing with veterans, the question of, okay, there's there's a person that is returning and we know them, yet the family has been functioning without them in a, a totally different way and they've become accustomed to that. Mm-hmm. So where does this person get um Where is their role? How has their role changed? And I sort of used the analogy before. They are a stranger in a strange land. Yet, at the same time, it's people they love and it's people they know. Yet, people have gotten older. They've taken more responsibility, different responsibilities. Where where do they feel that they belong? And also, there's also a question. There's an economic question. Um, who is the breadwinner now as people are transitioning back into the workforce? What does that mean in terms of someone's personality, in terms of someone's self-esteem? How, how does all of that play into how one communicates with each other? Um, that's something that is always uh, an issue um, as people return to families. That's a huge one. Yeah, it's an enormous topic because also prior to leaving, what were the family dynamics initially? Mm-hmm. You know, what were the underlying issues? And those underlying issues are usually magnified when this person returns because they they are in essence in a new role. Even though it may be the same person, it's it's a new role. You know, I, I I can speak from experience with this. You know, on my deployments, and it it almost felt, doctor, as if I was a uh, a stranger coming back into my own family. Right. Gone for a year, gone for six months, even gone for three months, just on some training exercises, and then you come back, and your 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 family has a schedule, mm-hmm. and they're and they're continuing on this schedule. You're you're the interrupter. I mean, right. now you're coming back, and now you're you know they're in this great sink of things and you're coming back wanting to be part of it and you haven't been for three six months to a year maybe even longer that to me it's a very uh uh it's a hard dynamic for the spouse who you know male female whoever's coming back in to get into i mean have what kind of uh 
support do you offer with that? What kind of guidance would you offer the, the veteran or service members for that? Or what have you seen? You know, it's not so different than any sort of family therapy or couples therapy. It's reintroducing themselves to one another. Um, I have, you know, it's interesting. I have a couple now and one of them is a vet, you know, is returning from the theater of war and they don't know each other. Mm-hmm. So it's it's almost as if think about it as and they've been married 30 years. So it's it's almost as if, OK, you have to start dating again. Mm-hmm. You have to reintroduce yourself to who you are now. We all grow and we age and we we sort of learn new skill sets. But part of the idea of life is continually growing and changing. You're not the same person that you were at 19 that you are at 35 and so on and so forth. Um, So you have to begin to understand who this other individual is now. At the same time, when you look at family dynamics, when you have children, your children are growing and they're growing in their own ways. And when you're not a part of that, you have to, one, recognize I have not been a part of their life, whether it's three months, six months, a year, and so on. So I have to begin to educate myself as sort of the veteran returning. Um, Because in many ways, you are the professional stranger. And you always will be the professional stranger as long as you are in the military. And once once you sort of leave that life, how do you begin to acclimate and find your role? And that's, I think, different for every family mm-hmm. because family dynamics are, are different. But all together sort of sitting down and whether it's with professional help or not professional help um, to figure out what is the role one plays. And it may change certainly over time. But what, where do people feel comfortable? And also to acknowledge that, you know, I think being able to communicate is so critically important. And if you're unable to do that, then you need to find somebody who can help you begin the process of communicating with each other. Because that can be problematic, but it can also be one saving grace. I like Linda said earlier, uh, excuse me, Linda, talking about communication. You know, with that with that young service members, and we see the divorce rate so extremely high in 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 the military, mm-hmm. and and just like Linda and and you had said, it's if you can, uh, you, you talk about not communicating, and then the stressors that go on top. Then, then when you include what you're bringing back, uh, that's, from, yes, that's where I was going to go. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So what you're bringing back, you you're, now you're you may have some symptoms of PTSD. Uh, your um, and medical problems. I mean, you may have been injured, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, physically injured. That is, you know, maybe you lost a limb or you know, yeah, an injury. So, I what you what you've just said, I couldn't agree more with. Um, uh, I, I didn't really have a question. I just wanted to comment on that. Uh, right. Really. I mean, and I think what one of the things that I have always seen and throughout over the years is that. Essentially, when a person returns, you know, it's 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 getting to know an entirely new person and it's understanding that person. It, it, the, the person you love is in there, but there are these added layers. I mean, in many ways, there's a lot of scar tissue to uncover and to deal with. 
whether it, again, whether you're dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, whether you're dealing with physical disability or, or other things that may not have manifested, even when one returns, it may take some time. So it's beginning to sort of uncover who this individual is. Well, I, I would like to add another piece to this that is also communication. And I think that sometimes separations and deployments or PCSs that are unaccompanied tours or whatever, avoid certain issues because you're apart. So you can ignore that for a time being. But most problems, and Les and I have talked about this on other shows, most problems do not go away from ignoring them. Most problems fester under the surface, and it may manifest itself in anger or in some other response, uh, quiet sitting, ignoring the family, um, almost punishment through silence. There's a lot of different ways people react, and some of the ways that they do are because there was a lot of avoidance because you didn't have time. Some of the op-tempo that was going on in earlier years of the most recent conflicts, the op-tempo was so fast that no one really came home in between emotionally. They prepared for the next step. And I think that's less now because we're more aware of the stressors of very rapid deployments and redeployments. But if you avoid issues, they don't usually get better. Do you agree? I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, basically, if you're avoiding issues or avoidance, those issues fester. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, you think about it if you're boiling pasta. You know, you put the lid on top, yet it sort of begins to boil. And if you don't take the lid off, it, it boils over. So it's never good to keep that inside. Yet, at the same time, in many cases, people are fearful of being vulnerable, mm-hmm. and that's always problematic. You know, one of the things that we that we often forget about is that guard or reservist. You know, I, I can see this affecting uh, you know transitioning active duty service members because mm-hmm. of, but then we don't really talk about that that guard or reserve buried soldier who's who had you know since well after the first Gulf War has had more deployments under mm-hmm. their belt than. Been a, been a very long time. Do you see the same thing with our guard and reservists as you do with our active duty service members? Sometimes. You know, I do think that there are uh, tier levels for all of them. Um, and because, some, you know, uh, sort of the guard are able to, th- there's more flexibility. So there's more connection at times to uh, their life at home. Um, but yes, because because I think their family still doesn't understand there's something slightly secretive about this other world, this other culture that they're a part of. So it's grappling with that. Yes, absolutely. Because one, you know, with active duty, you kind of expect it. You're ready to, yep. you know, OK, he's going to leave at a moment's notice. We're reserves. It's you can see it a year out or so, and then you're right, though. Then it becomes that secret. Yeah. My goodness, we have another break to go on. We'll be right back talking further about the psychological effects of transitioning. Stay tuned. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. 
story about the Gabrielensi bear caught rummaging through a refrigerator in an apartment in Colorado. The tenant heard noises coming from the kitchen and saw a bear with his head in the fridge looking for anything it could eat. What's the word for food that's unfit for human consumption? My wallop. The tenant locked himself in his bedroom and called for help. What's the word for the fear of bears? Ursophobia. We have lots of bears near our Colorado cabin, and we have been told that pepper spray will keep them away. But the idea that it would keep a 500-pound grizzly bear from attacking seems ridiculous to me. I think I'll try the pepper spray in myself and hope the bear doesn't like spicy foods. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We are talking avidly on the breaks. I wish you could hear some of the breaks. But, you know, Jonathan, it comes to mind, through the transition programs, etc., are there any transition tools that deal with the psychological aspects of transition? Formally. Formally, there are programs that are beginning to look at this, um, and mostly through universities, um, and they are doing tremendous amount of research. Um, but no, there isn't anything specifically. Part of the problem is between public and private institutions. And what I mean by that is, you know, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs is going through a major transition at this point mm-hmm. with a new administration who honestly has dropped the ball, um, uh, this problem, this problems in terms of, and aside from that, there also is a big turnover in terms of frontline workers um, at the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs who are doing those types of things. A lot of people are retiring and there's a new generation of people. But if you look at places like the, uh, like Syracuse University and uh, University of Michigan, I'm just thinking UCLA, they have programs that are beginning to touch upon this, um, and particularly in the ROTC programs, but no. I mean, I'm sort of going around about Doesn't that shock you? Yeah. Because after this many years of war and going back to the first Gulf Wars and all of those who were involved in those, we've been at war for Mm -hmm. a very long time. And we ignore certain things, such as the suicide rate in families and dependents. That is never talked about. But talking about this, which affects every single person who transitions out and may or may not affect them negatively, but it does have the stressors for every single person and every single family. It's shocking to me that this is not in play or part of the TAPS program or whatever they're calling it now, even though we know that that has many flaws to it. Les, do you remember anything that dealt with this? No. And I, and I, I still have some connection with the transition class classes Mm -hmm. and there's no, nobody's doing this. Uh, it is, it's just being overlooked. It's, um, it's a failure on the military's part. It's the failure on the government part. If you look at this, you spend um, 10 to 52 weeks becoming a, a cert, you know, soldier, marine, airman, sailor. They, they put you through all that trailer to become this person. 
on the back end, when you're getting out, they give you five days. Okay, now we're going to make you a civilian again. So here's five days of training. I, it's just, it's better than what it was. You know, and remember back in the 70s, 80s, they just give you your 214 and let you walk out the gate. You know, when I retired in 02, we went through a, a makeshift class to give you a crappy resume and, uh, and pat your head out the door. Today, though, they're, it, it's preparing them for a career, but not preparing them, preparing people to transition. Or for life. That's, the, this that's, new that's, part of life, I guess that's where I'm trying to get to, is that, okay, we'll tell you about schools and the GI Bill. We'll tell you about, you know, how to transition your medical care over to VA. We'll talk about um, whatever is more logistically oriented. We, we know that coming back to your family, there will be role changes. They're aware of role changes, but I have not heard anyone talking about, other than the effect of PTSD on the family, which ends up with secondary PTS, having anything to do with this. Jonathan, do you have any thoughts on effective means of proactively, if you know you're transitioning and you're looking forward to retirement, Let's look, let's look at that happy picture first. You're looking forward to retirement. It has gone the way you wanted it to go for the most part, and you're leaving. Aren't there big feelings involved with that as well after 20, 30 years? Yeah, I mean, I think that, well, I think they're mixed feelings. You right. have this sort of euphoria of, okay, I'm going. I, I don't have the... Um, the traditional sense of, okay, I, I can, I'm going into retirement yet I'm going into retirement. So mm -hmm. it's the, it's, it's the, it's, it's both euphoria and anxiety because it's the anxiety of the, particularly for people that have been in the military for, for a long time, 15, 20, 30 years, so on is what do I do now? How do I, and I am again coming into a very different world. Um, and and you and I have a worldview that is very structured, that is very particular. And now I have to figure out what do I do next? And then on top of that, I'm dealing with many of the underlying sort of psychological underpinnings that I may have dealt with, um, whether it's PTSD or other issues that may not have manifested themselves. And in many cases, a lot of it could be anxiety. Um, and then there's just general anxiety of, of being part of a new world. And what do I do? How do I take my skill sets? Um, what can I do? It's in many ways, it's nerve wracking. I mean, that you know, most of the veterans that I've spoken to at this point have always said to me, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with myself yet. I have mm -hmm. to rediscover myself and redefine who I am. I would love to take a step into a realm that I work closely with, which is those who are medically retired. I work with the caregivers on veterancaregiver.com. Mm -hmm. Medical retirement comes with a phone call. Usually something very bad has happened, and now you've got Walter Reed or mm -hmm. Germany involved, depending on you know the severity or whatever. And many, many families have said to me, I was prepared to be a gold star family. I was not prepared to be a Silver Star family. Mm. Interesting. Well, I, my point is that I don't think there's psychological conditioning for you may come back injured. You may come back changed. Yes, right. war changes people. You may not come home. 
but I thought that point, I heard that point hundreds and thousands of times with all the families I've worked with over the last decade. And I think it bears again on preparation, expectations, and then how to deal with all, talk about psychological effects. You're suddenly at Walter Reed for not six months, for two, three, four, and five years. Right. I mean, that's why, you know, when, when you talk to wounded warriors, they use the word alive dead. That's right. Because when you think about this is a new life, in essence, the, the life you had before you go through. I mean, it's many in many ways. I use the analogy of athletes mm -hmm. because when athletes end their career, there's a death in many and in exactly the same way, probably mm -hmm. even more profound. Mm -hmm. You have somebody who is dealing with a physical, psychological, cognitive injury where the sort of post-military life of going through rehab, physical rehab, um, cognitive rehab, and, and the types of therapies that they have to go through, they have to sort of reevaluate who they are, and it is a new life for them. And that challenge, it challenges who they are, it challenges their entire way of living, their entire identity. And which I think, again, comes back to being prepared. I don't think we grieve well in this country. We mm -hmm. bury it. And I think when someone is medically retired, when they had formerly thought they were going to spend 20 years in, there is grief of a dream lost among your family members. Suddenly the future doesn't look like you thought it would look for any of you. Right. And, and yet there is almost no one working through that grief with you they'll say you know things are changed here's your new normal which is a term i just really despise right. but that's what they use and so i i think that you you brought up a live day but let's cover that separately talk right. a little, little bit more about the fact that in a medical retirement you are dealing with family dynamics on steroids right i mean I, let me just sort of say something sort of outright i don't okay. believe in the word normal I hate. I don't either. Now. It's a setting on a dryer. It's annoying. It's 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 a, one of those sort of pet peeves of mine. mine so I look at that and say, okay, let's think about where we are in the here and now, which has changed from where we were, and let's think about how do we create a life that is most productive. Now this will take time. There are two components here. You're talking about the individual and sort of the veteran themselves, and then you're talking about family dynamics. Mm -hmm. They're two, those are the two narratives. The two narratives are linked, but they are they do diverge. So you have to be prepared when you're looking at this from a psychological standpoint is how do you deal with mother, father, spouse, children? That's one aspect of it. And then how do you deal with the anger, frustration, fear, anxiety of that individual as they are trying to grapple with who they are now? Mm -hmm. You know, you when you're right, I've had many students uh, as they came to school and they were uh, either injured uh, psychologically or had physical injuries, they were they, they were struggling with this. 
mm-hmm. struggling with who they were now. Um, when we had a, a, a Marine that was wounded five times going to a school, and he really struck. He was he was really having a hard time. Uh, one of the people that stands out the most to me was this young, another young Marine who attended one of our campuses. who was the first hand transplant. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was very it was interesting because he was of course because of his injury of a grenade blow up in his by his hand, but it was adjusting to his 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 uh, who he was, and then adjusting to his new hand. So seeing him go through all that psychology, psychologically, and then physically. Right, just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and this just and it, this is going to sound kind of goofy, but it lends me to the brilliance of uh, um, what you get. You and Linda were talking about is uh, a, a quote from Forrest Gump's mom about saying she said, "What is normal anyway?" You know, just the mm-hmm. brilliance of that of that quote. I I agree with both of you. There, everybody has their own their own normal. So what is really normal? Uh, I, you know, so it is just. It, what I was getting, what I'm trying to get at is the, the, um, the, what's normal to one person is not normal to another. And so I'm really happy that you, you know, both of you agree with there is no, no normal, like, or I live the set, it's a setting on a dryer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, and I think that that is one thing that we have to also encourage. And I'm not a psychologist, so I'm just offering this as a, an observer and a, someone who's worked with lots and lots of families, I think we have to be kind to ourselves and to our families. I think we don't stop and recognize the small wins. I think we often blow past progress, uh, good Mm -hmm. communications. We don't celebrate the wins. And I think if you do celebrate the small wins, they do begin to add up. And that's where you see family members becoming good team members again. And they really support one another. And it becomes the camaraderie in the family. And then vets are wonderful at staying in touch with one another and those they served with. And that's super important because it is a community that will never go away. I know many, many retirees in their 70s who are just now meeting brand new old friends. And so I think that there's a a wonderful aspect to this community as well. We have our last break of the hour, and we are talking with Jonathan Kaufman today about the psychological effects of transition, a fascinating conversation. We have more. Don't go away. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. 
since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. hear about Wesley, the golden retriever puppy from Michigan that was fitted with braces? Before you think this is a bonafide insanity, Wesley was born with teeth that were so crooked he couldn't shut his mouth all the way. This was affecting his ability to eat properly. So his owners took him to the Harborfront Hospital for Animals and Veterinary Dental Solutions, where a doggy orthodontist prescribed him a set of braces. And now, pictures of Wesley smiling with his bright, shiny braces have been circling the Internet. With all that metal wrapped around their teeth, some would think that most dogs would become bruxomaniacs, but not Wesley. He doesn't mind the braces at all and is now able to eat his food with gusto. A bruxomaniac is someone with an uncontrollable urge to grind their teeth. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We are going to go touch on what we talked about in the third segment about a live day. And for those of you who don't know what a live day it is, is it is usually a day of the an injury when someone was saved, their life was saved, and their life begins again, very changed, very new, but it is a new beginning. And so I would love it if, Jonathan, you can talk about how people deal the various ways, deal with, quote, a live day, and that is in quotes, mm-hmm. and the impact if there is disability, whether visible or invisible, you know, what are some of those psychological transitions? Um, a live day, just to make this very clear, is in itself a transition. It's a transition from right. their life before to where it is now. Mm-hmm. And it isn't It isn't complete. They are still on their journey. And their the journey, depending upon who this person is, may take a lifetime. So as people think about this, as we put it in quotes, they're alive day. What does this mean to them? It's, it's, for, for some, it's an existential crisis of who am I? Where am I? The person I knew no longer exists, but I have to embrace the person I am now, my understanding of self. And for many, that is the challenge that they have to continue to grapple with. Mm-hmm. And what that does is, it for many, they go through a bout of depression. For, for some, it's anxiety. For some, it's a combination of both. Um, for some, it's anger and rage. For some, it's acceptance very quickly. But it is, you know, when we look at sort of the, the, uh, the stages that Kubler-Ross mm-hmm. talked about in the, in the stages of dying – those things are very prevalent in when one talks about their life day. But the difference is that their uh, that their life continues in a, but in a just in a, in a very new way. And so the big thing for for most veterans that are dealing with this sort of alive day process is 
to begin to understand who they who they are. It's it's you're you're delving deep psychologically into your psyche, into mm-hmm. your persona of who you are, and then who will you define yourself as going forward. And whether it's a physical manifestation, which sometimes can be, I wouldn't say easier traditionally, but it is easier for many because they can see a lost limb or they can see themselves in a chair. Mm -hmm. It's visual. Mm -hmm. Then when you go to something that is an invisible disability, whether it's post-traumatic stress disorder or something that's more cognitive oriented or PTSD or psychologically oriented that changes their behavior. It's critical to think about how we look at that change as something that's new and that newness is there. You know, it's funny. I have a quote. I I keep quotes on my phone that I find Mm -hmm. to be very interesting and and rather profound, far more than I could invent. And I'll I'll read you this one. Mourning is sorrow for what was lost. Grieving is an understanding that life has to go on. Yeah. Yeah. But they're different things. And I don't think people understand that. And our culture is one of, you know, you're fine. Move on. You know, haven't you heard people who say, why isn't his PTSD gone? I mean, he's been back three years. You know, he it's it's bizarre. And and yet we all know that trauma affects mm-hmm. people different ways. We all look at life through the different experiences and perspectives that we have. And this Alive Day can be a very difficult uh, time for the families. It can also be a great grateful day i've seen it done both ways um we are affected by dates i i I am i know certain things happen on certain dates that affect me some do not as much but i can absolutely see how an alive day for both a family member and the service member could affect you Mm -hmm. year after year after year talk about that the the dichotomy the the pendulum that effect that people do show and is there any pattern to how people react to how the outcome for a happy life goes i I don't think there's a pattern exactly because i think everyone is individual Mm -hmm. but it also depends on the family in which they're raised you know you can sort of look at you make the analogy of if you ever go to new orleans and you've ever been to a new orleans funeral it's happy you know, it's a celebration people, of it's life. It's a celebration of, exactly. It's a celebration of life. And so one of the things that one has to realize is, one, you're alive. Right. And, you know, there's a, you're talking about quotes. There's a wonderful quote by, um, by Blake. He goes, to see the world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wildflower, mm-hmm. to hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. Which oh, is to I love see that. the beautiful in the mundane. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. So for many people, it's understanding how to look at something so mundane that is truly beautiful. And whether you're learning in physical therapy how to move your leg slightly or how to pick up a cup, 
Mm-hmm. These and I, you, you, you sort of um, alluded to it before, and I call them small successes. Mm-hmm. I call and them small those, wins. Same right. thing. I love it's that. Same, it's, yeah, right. It's 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 it, it. You know, it's semantics. I think at the end of the day, but those small successes should be relished mm-hmm. because it means that you're making steps forward to create a life that can be rich and valuable. And while it may not be the life that you thought starting out, our lives never are. There's never a straight line. It's usually twists and turns. And you can say, well, unfortunately, this happened to me. Or you can say, fortunately, it did. You know, as someone who has a physical disability, I was born with cerebral palsy. I didn't have an alive day. Mm -hmm. But I understand the challenges of everyday life. Right. And I always say that this is my greatest gift because what I've learned from it are many things. And people learn patience. They learn empathy. They learn sympathy. They learn different things of how they view their worldview changes. Yes. So you can embrace that and understand that life is worth living. It may be different. And you will find somebody, hopefully, or are with somebody that loves you for who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you begin to see these challenges as something that's exciting. And yes, there are frustrations. There's no question. And anybody who's going to tell you, well, life is going to be peachy and wonderful is, is full of it. Well, good it's luck just, with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just not happening. Right. But what will happen is for one to take this worldview and see how can I shape it differently because I have autonomy to a certain extent but I can also take my my knowledge of being in the military of being part of a community and say you know what let me use that to benefit my reality now to sort of be part of a community of people and what I see of those who are successfully transitioning psychologically and otherwise Mm -hmm. is that when asked, would they serve again? They say yes. Yeah. And they move into post-traumatic growth. So alive days may take you many years to stop reliving the trauma uh, or the unknown or the anger or the rage. And those are the folks that go down the dark spiral yeah. And, and need some help. And whether they choose to or not, that is a choice. But it's funny, when you talk to the ones who have had sometimes the most severe injuries and the most severe transitions, um, I, I knew many who came home and within 30 days were divorced unwillingly, um, had PTSD issues to deal with, didn't know how to navigate, etc. But they turned it into post-traumatic growth and looking back, they wouldn't really change it. They, they wish they could have avoided it, but who they would be today would not be the same person had they not gone through the fire. Right. And I, I think those experiences change us mm-hmm. as they should, and they shape us for who we are going forward. Talk a little bit more about that, the post-traumatic growth. Because they are now doing many studies that are mm -hmm. showing exactly what we just spoke about. Right. I think as people go through trauma, 
there, there's sort of an under undercurrent that happens and people ha can make choices. They can either choose to go down that dark path of depression, addiction, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Or they can go down another path and say, and that path sometimes is often harder, where it's doing the work. And what I mean by that is being in a therapist's office, mm -hmm. being, and I mean a, a, a psychotherapist's office, as long and, and in part with maybe a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, a speech pathologist, so on and so forth. And understanding this new life, quote unquote, that they have, can well, be just as rich. It can. And what you talked about, the two paths, you have two mm -hmm. paths. I would venture to say that most people travel both those paths. Absolutely. They first travel the dark one and then, you know, with some sort of resilience or family support or helping other people to transition or whatever it may be that makes you realize there's light uh, as opposed to darkness and that you do want to go on, then they move into right. the and other that path. path is not linear so they, mm -hmm. may, they no. may vacillate back and forth mm -hmm. throughout their lives there's no you know it isn't black and white anybody who says that is sort of it's a fallacy yes so they may go back and forth but how do they begin to sort of uh, at least realign themselves so okay we're, we're, I, I know i've i'm tipping over so to speak and right. then how do we get back on that so that path in itself, they travel in between. Jonathan, quickly tell people how they can get in touch and learn more about you. What is the website they go to? Sure. They can go to www.jkoffmanconsulting.com and Perfect. they can find me there. Thank you so very much for sharing your wisdom with us. This has been a fascinating show. Thank you again for being with us. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance your